Welcome to the Bethesda Church Podcast. We're so glad you've joined us today. If you'd like to contribute financially to this ministry, you can do so at BethesdaChurch.tv slash give and simply select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us. We hope you enjoy today's message. Man, anybody thankful for Jesus today? And man, Merry Christmas to everyone. Thank you for being with us. Today we are on part three of the series called Unwrapped. We are using the gospel writers to uh, unwrap a different side of Jesus. And we learned, based on their perspective, we learned in week one that Matthew unwrapped the fact that Jesus is Messiah and King. Last week we looked at Mark who unwrapped Jesus as a wonder worker. Today I want to look at the book of Luke, and Luke unwraps Jesus as the great physician. How many know that God still heals? I'm going to ask that one more time. How many know that God still heals, right? We believe that Jesus is a healer. And uh, so Luke kind of uncovers this for us in a lot of different ways, and we're going to start in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. It says, many have undertaken to draw draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. So Luke tells us, I investigated this story about Jesus and Based upon that investigation, I want to bring you a detailed account of everything that that I saw, that I witnessed, that I heard, um, which is really cool that that Luke took it up upon himself to be so specific and so detailed. There is a belief that Luke was a skilled painter as well. There's a painting in a cathedral in Spain that is believed to be by Luke. It's interesting when you consider the fact that Luke paints this portrait of Jesus as the healer, as the great physician. Now we have to ask, who was Luke? I think the first clue to help us understand who Luke was is to understand the fact that Luke was also a physician. He was also a doctor. And I think it's really cool that God saw fit through the power of the Holy Spirit that a doctor would tell us that the greatest doctor who ever lived is Jesus. Amen? Pretty powerful. Not only was he a doctor, but Luke was a Gentile. He is the only non-Jewish writer of the Gospels. He traveled with Paul on missionary trips, and Paul referred to Luke in the book of Colossians as a friend. He wrote the Gospel of Luke, but he also wrote the Acts of the Apostles. The Gospel of Luke has always been my favorite Gospel because he is so specific and detailed. Luke, being a doctor, is all about the details. His purpose was to give a detailed historical account of Jesus, not only as Savior, but Jesus as our healer. Early Christian art, especially stained glass windows, used symbols to represent Jesus in the four Gospels. If you were to look those up, you would find out that Matthew was portrayed as the image of a lion. And I love that because in week one, we learned that Matthew uncovered that Jesus is royalty. He is a king. We learned in week two, and Mark is represented in this, he's represented by the figure of a man. 
Because Mark stresses not only is Jesus a wonder worker, Mark stresses his humanity. That he has emotions and feelings just like you and I. John is portrayed as the eagle, which is pretty awesome when you understand the the revelation of of Christ in John. The Gospel of John is probably the deepest of the four Gospels. Not probably, it is the deepest of the four Gospels. There's so much meat in what John wrote. But Luke is portrayed as the symbol of a calf, the animal of sacrifice. Luke addresses in his book the high-ranking official by the name of Theophilus. How would you like to be named Theophilus? Right? Great name. Well, I took uh, upon myself this week to look up the name Theophilus, and it does have a really cool Greek meaning. The name Theophilus means friend of God. So when Luke addresses Theophilus, he is, in essence, addressing all those who would become friends of God. I believe that we connect better to Luke's writings as the friends of God. A lot of people don't understand that God not only wants to be your Savior, but Jesus very much wants to be your best friend. Abraham is described in the Old Testament as the friend of God. So Luke is focused on accuracy. He's focused on detail. And he gives us the most complete biography of Jesus in the Gospels. Over half of the material that's found in Luke's gospel, it's not found in the other three because he was so about the specifics and he gives us things that the other writers didn't pick up on. And you can see the influence of the Apostle Paul in Luke's writings. Now, one of the things we have to understand about Luke is that he brings a unique perspective. He brings out some unique words of Jesus, but also some unique works of Jesus. For instance, Luke is the one who gives us, in Luke chapter 5, the miracle catch. You guys remember this story in Luke 5? The disciples, professional fishermen, by the way, have fished all night long and caught nothing. And Jesus shows up and says, why don't you cast your nets on the other side of the boat? Now, how many know that was an opportunity to get mad? I've been here all night, now you're going to tell me to throw my net over here. Well, they throw their net on the other side. What happens? They catch so many fish that their boat begins to sink. I would have liked to have saw that. Anybody else? Like, that's a lot of fish. Luke also gives us the story of Jesus raising the widow's son at Nain in Luke 7. I love that story because you see a couple of things. One, Jesus is moved with compassion. Because a mother has lost her son. And not only does Jesus raise the son back up, he then gives the son back to the mother. I love that about Jesus. Not only am I going to heal him, I'm going to present him back to you. Luke's gospel in Luke 17, he records the unique story of ten lepers who come to Jesus at the same time. Ten of them. And the Bible says Jesus healed all ten. Now, we could stop and celebrate and clap over the ten being healed, but there's another truth that we often miss. If you continue reading, you find out that only one of those lepers came back to say, thank you for healing me. The lesson is gratitude. I think we could use a good lesson on gratitude even in the church. I think a lot of us, we're no different than children. Did I say that out loud? I did, didn't I? All right, my son, yesterday, nine years old, we went to the metropolitan city of Logan, 
And while we were there, we were exchanging gifts with my family. And, and so we're exchanging the gifts, and my son opens up a gift, and he's kind of excited about the gift, but then he watches his cousin open a gift. And when his cousin opened his gift, he's mad about his gift and said, why didn't I get one of those? Long story short, we spent the drive home talking about be thankful for what you do have. Quit grumbling over what you don't have. I think that's a great lesson for church people. I mean, we spend time talking about all the things we don't have and how upset we are and I'm offended with so-and-so and I'm mad about that. Why don't you stop all that nonsense and be thankful that God has blessed you, blessed your family, and God has been good to you, even better to you than you've been to yourself. Anybody thankful for what God has done for you? It's called gratitude. It's a great thing to have. He also records a conversation, which is really unique because the, the Mount of Transfiguration, guys, it, you, you have to admit it's unique when dead people show up and start talking. <laughs> Jesus is talking to Moses and Elijah. They all appear. Like, and Luke is the one who he records this and lets us in on what's happening there. He also records Jesus looking at Jerusalem in Luke 19. And the Bible says Jesus was moved with compassion. He wept over the city. And, and that's great that we see Jesus' compassion. But what we also learn is Jerusalem missed its moment. Hit your neighbor and tell your neighbor, don't miss your moment. Opportunity has to be ceased in the lifetime of the opportunity. All right? You, you got to take advantage of what God has brought into your life. Luke also talks about something extremely unique. In Luke 22, he said that when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, that his sweat became like great drops of blood. Now, for a long time, I kind of thought that was figurative until I really went and looked at it. And Luke is very specific in this uh, one truth. He said that Jesus was in anguish. All right? Um, and, and so I went and looked this up, and what I learned is, is that we have these tiny sweat glands in our capillaries that can rupture. So Jesus is in this garden called Gethsemane, which means wine press, and the pressure and the weight of, of the world is on his shoulders. And this is not figuratively, this is not like, you know, drops of blood. His sweat became like great drops of blood, because of the pressure, his sweat glands were rupturing and sweat became blood. Why? Because not only did Jesus win, when we say he won uh, the battle at the cross, that is true. I'm not discounting that at all. But the real battle was won in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus had to decide for himself in that moment, in the midst of that pressure, that he would go ahead and lay his life down. In that moment, that was when the battle was won. Gethsemane means wine press. And, and here's something you need to know. When you start praying prayers like, God, use me to change the world, you need to know God will put you in the wine press because, listen, the grapes have to be crushed to get the juice out. That's a picture of how God's anointing works in your life. God's, you say, I, what's anointing? That's God's presence evident in your life. How does it work? There is often a crushing phase 
Why does God take us through a crushing pattern? Sound like God? Because God wants to get you out of the way so that we can identify with Paul and we can say like he did, not I that live, but Christ who lives within me. And so God will take us through this wine press to get all the mess out so that it's not about us any longer. It's about Christ living in us. See, Luke's main theme is the healing ministry of Jesus. And Matthew, when you look at Matthew, he traces the ancestry of Jesus all the way back to, back to Abraham, but Luke traces it all the way back to Adam. And I'm going to break this down into three areas from Luke's gospel. The first section is the gospel to the poor. It says in Luke 4, 18 and 19, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So Jesus said, the anointing, God's presence, is on me to preach the gospel to the poor. Everybody say poor. All right? In, in this nation, we have a very limited view of poor, very, very limited view of poverty. Um, Luke is often called the gospel of the underdog, and the reason is because Luke is showing us Jesus has concern for the poor and for the outcasts. Like Luke shows us that everybody that says that person can't get in, Luke is telling us that's the person Jesus says can get in. He, he, he's, he invites the poor, he invites the outcasts. Luke says he is the friend of sinners. I got some good news for you. Jesus is the friend of sinners, and you ought to be thankful because you was a good one, all right? You was a good one. He is the friend of sinners. And so, who are the poor, Pastor? Who are, who are the poor? We often think of the poor in connection with finances, right? Where are you at on the economic scale? That, that's how we view it. It's a very limited view because you can be extremely wealthy financially, but you can also at the same time be spiritually bankrupt. So Jesus doesn't monitor poverty just with money. Jesus looks not only at economics, Jesus looks at, at social standing, not at social standing, but he takes it a step further. He's really looking at where you are spiritually. And so Luke 6:20, looking at his disciples, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. So I'm going to break it down with a story that Luke gave us. Luke is the only gospel writer that told us the story of the rich man and the poor man Lazarus and the afterlife. Now, some of you are like, I don't know the story. Well, I'm going to help you with it, okay? The Bible says in the gospel of Luke that there was a rich man who had a life of luxury, all right? He had everything money could buy. But at the same time, at his gate, all right, the rich man's gate, laid a beggar by the, by the name of Lazarus. Not only was he a beggar laying at the rich man's gate, the Bible says he's covered in sores. But you know Luke, he's a doctor. He's got to be specific. He says, and the dogs came to lick his sores. So you got a rich man who has everything, a poor man right outside his house, covered in sores and dogs licking those sores. 
The rich man, Scripture says, that the rich man ignores Lazarus, the poor man. He ignores him, doesn't pay any attention to him. But the Bible says they both died. And when they both died, the roles reversed. Because when we see them in the afterlife, we have the poor man sitting in paradise with Abraham, and we have the rich man being tormented in the lake of fire. And what's interesting is that the rich man who ignored the poor man while on earth, while he's burning in the fire, he asked Abraham, can you send the poor man to go dip his finger in water so that maybe just a drop of water will touch my tongue and while he's at it, can you tell him to warn my family about this place? They don't want to come here. So while on earth he's rich, he's got everything, you've got this poor man who has nothing, but they die and their roles reverse. And it's so interesting that you can be financially wealthy and spiritually bankrupt And and I'm going to boil it down with with, with a couple of things. One, you need to know that the afterlife, when you step out of this life into eternity, it lasts a whole lot longer than the years you're permitted to live here. All right? So it looks like this wealthy guy had it going on. We don't know how long he lived, but probably less than 100 years. Right? But when they stepped into eternity without beginning and without end, the roles reverse. And... He is stuck in this lake of fire. And I want to sum it up by saying this. Be careful that you don't ignore those at your gate that you have the power to bless. Luke tells us through that story and others that Jesus has opened up the kingdom to everyone. And when Jesus says, I open it up to everyone, he means everyone. He means Mary Magdalene. Checkered past, sinful past, yet he invites her into the kingdom. He means tax collectors like Matthew who got rich at the expense of the less fortunate. What did he do for Matthew? He invited him in to the kingdom of God. He invites the sinner and the drunk into the kingdom of God. And we need to be thankful for that because a lot of us, we get saved and then we sit back and we judge others because they sin differently than we do. Oh, I'm preaching good on Christmas Eve. They sin different than us and we look down upon them and Jesus is letting us know that I opened this up to lepers, to sinners, to drunks, to a dying criminal who is beside me on a cross as well. See, Luke is showing us God's love has no no limits. And that if you're here today and you feel that there is no hope, Luke would say there is hope. So not only is there the gospel to the poor in, in, in Luke, but we also see the gospel of prayer. Luke identifies the connection between the power of Jesus. All right, everybody say power of Jesus. All right, power of Jesus. We talk a lot about that, but Luke connects it to his prayer life. He said he had power because he prayed. And so Luke is the only one who gives us three prayer parables to explain this connection that happens in prayer and power. He gives us first in Luke 11, the friend at midnight. If you don't remember this story, I'll I'll just remind you. Y'all allow me to remind you? Y'all like, I got to go wrap gifts, hurry, right? (laughs) I get it, I know. I know you got stuff to do. 
Give me about 10 more minutes and we're going to wrap it up. He talks about a friend at midnight who wanted bread. He shows up at his friend's house, knocks on the door, but it's midnight. Everybody say midnight. That's like a key point, right? Like who shows up at anybody's house at midnight asking for bread? Come on, you passed sit, go, and come on, you passed about 12 stores on your way here. Why are you at my house? Well, the Bible says the guy answers the door, and he says, do you know what time it is? I'm in bed, kid's in bed, go away. And Jesus tells us that the friend won't give you bread out of the friendship at that time of day. He's going to be like, get out of here, we're in bed. But he will give you bread because of your shameless persistence. What's Jesus teaching us here? Ask and keep on asking. Seek and keep on seeking. Knock and keep on knocking. And eventually the door will be open. I wonder how many of us have prayed one time, two times, three times. And we've given up on something. And it could be the very next ask. The very next knock, the very next seek will be the time that God opens up the door. God does not teach pray one time and leave it alone. God says be shamelessly persistent, keep seeking and pursuing, and the door will be open. That's how God tells us to pray. Come on, hit your neighbor and say keep praying. Now he gives us another one that, that's kind of alongside it in Luke 18, and it's about an unjust judge, all right, and a widow. And this widow comes to town every day and she's seeking justice over her enemies. But the Bible says this judge doesn't care about God and this judge doesn't care about people. He seems like a great guy, right? He don't care about God or people. But because this widow, it didn't, didn't say she came once, says that she kept coming day after day. Let, let, let me sum it up so that we can understand. She got under his skin. He got tired of meeting with the same widow every single day. He got so tired of it that he finally just said, I grant you your request. There's your justice. Get out of my face. And Jesus connects it to don't give up. Come on, encourage two people around you and tell them don't give up. All right? Don't give up. Keep moving. Keep pushing. That's what Luke is telling us. And the last prayer parable, he talks about a Pharisee. Man, I am so pumped up. It's Christmas and I'm ready to run through a wall. All right? Listen, you got to get this. You got to get this. He talks about in Luke 18, a Pharisee and a tax collector. Now, if you take a step back, you would think, the Pharisee's your guy. He knows the whole law. He goes to church every day. He prays 12 times a day. That's your guy. Tax collector, he got rich off of poor people. Like, no good. No, you know what, Jesus, he flips the script. He said the Pharisee went where the crowds could see him, and he prayed where everybody could hear him. And what did he pray? Here's, here's his prayer. God, I thank you that I'm not like all these people. Do y'all hear the arrogance in that prayer? God, I thank you that I am God's gift to all these people. And I thank you that I'm so much better than everyone else. That's what he's praying. So that's what Jesus, he says, he's praying and he's so full of himself. He said, but the tax collector who you guys would scrutinize and criticize, he, 
He didn't go in front of the people. He didn't go where crowds could hear him or everybody could overhear his prayer, but he went to an isolated place alone with God and he prayed, God have mercy on me. Man, this is powerful because listen, I used to think that serving God and pastoring and preaching that I would eventually arrive at a place where I just feel so good about me. I'm so good. I'm so awesome. I'm so holy. I thought I would get to a place. Do you know what's actually happened? The closer I get to God, the more I see how messed up I am and how much I need Jesus. That's, that's what I see. Oh, come on. Don't shout me down while I'm preaching good. So let's not, and what, what's Jesus showing us? I'll give grace and I will exalt the humble, but I will bring down the proud. I don't know about y'all, but I need some Jesus. I'm going to humble myself, all right? Jesus, Luke reminds us that prayer is more than ritual. Prayer is power. Prayer is power. Jesus prayed at his baptism. He prayed alone. Jesus prayed at the transfiguration. He prayed for Peter. He prayed in the garden. He prayed from the cross to forgive us for our sins. And, And one of the things that really stood out when I was looking at this this week, he prayed all the time. But when he got ready to choose the 12 disciples... All right, when he got ready to pick his team, he prayed all night long before he chose his team. I wonder how much time we should be praying about the people we're connected to. I wonder how much we should be praying about who we should do a business deal with. The Bible said he prayed all the time, but when it came to picking his team, like he didn't even sleep. He prayed all night before he chose them. Come on, hit your neighbor and say, that's good. That's good. All right, last thing. We're going to close it down. Before I get that, I've got to give you one more nugget. (laughs) Through Luke's perspective, we learn that our lives will be no greater than our prayer life. Last thing is the gospel of praise. Luke emphasizes joy and praise. And I don't want you to tune me out because I know we're coming to an end and you're like, where's the candles? It's under your seat. We'll get there, all right? Jesus was joyful. I meet a lot of church people that are not joyful. I saw a lot of preachers growing up that were not only were they not joyful, they were downright mean and thought that made them holy. Jesus was joyful. He enjoyed life. In all the cir- circumstances, if all the circumstances of your life are stacked against you, and sometimes life goes that way and it feels that way, you can still have joy in Jesus. Because joy is not based on circumstances, it's based on relationship. The phrase praising God, did you know it appears more in Luke's gospel than the entire New Testament combined? Like Luke is about praise and Luke is about joy. Praise is based ultimately on our understanding of who Jesus is. Check this verse out about Jesus' birth in Luke 2.10. It says, But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Anybody in this place that knows Jesus, listen, you ought to have some joy. Come on, somebody, if you believe that. You ought to have some joy. 
so far in this series, Matthew said he's Savior and King. Mark said he's a wonder worker. Luke says he's the great physician. He is the one who heals us. All of these are gifts that God has made available, but you have to unwrap. These are things that God has given us, but you have to cooperate with what God is doing and unwrap you know, these sides of Jesus for yourself, for your own life. I spent a lot of time considering this moment, and at 8.30 it finally all came together and made sense, but as I considered this moment and prayed about this moment, as it relates to Jesus as our great physician, I don't think it's an accident that on the, on the day we're lighting candles, we're talking about healing. Because the truth is, many of us, if we were completely honest and we took the mask down for just a minute, we would have to admit that we're not in a good place. Like, if our heart was revealed on the screen, we wouldn't want anybody to read it. Whether it's because of darkness or or rejection, betrayal, offense, bitterness, whatever it may be. I have learned through the many years of ministry that a lot of Christians, we we think of healing as physical, right? Like, God's going to cause an arm to grow back. And he can do all that. But you know what I find about most believers? Is it's not a physical thing they need healed from. Man, it's something in here. It's an offense, a spirit of rejection, betrayal that's happened, a bitterness that's began to grow in their heart because they could not let something go. And here we are, we're at Christmas time. We should be enjoying the season. But the truth is, we're not enjoying it and we don't have joy because we are not in a good place. Luke would want you to know that there's hope. The truth is, is that if we don't do something about it, We're going to step in to another year carrying the same old garbage. We're going to step into 2018 and we're going to be dragging the garbage from 2017 into it. And for some of y'all, that ain't good enough because 17 wasn't that bad. The truth is you're not carrying anything from 17, but I'm going to go ahead and encourage you. Luke would encourage you. You can let go of the garbage from 2010, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 and step into 2018. With a new slate. But you got to be willing to cooperate with the Holy Spirit. He's not going to make you do it. See, we want God to do it all, but if you resist, you cannot receive. You have to be willing to work with God. I want to say it like this. God wants to bring His light into all the dark places in your life. As the worship team comes back, we have to permit God's light. Genesis chapter 1 verse 3 says this. It says, let there be light and there was light. You're going to prophesy to your neighbor. Tell your neighbor, just just tell him, say, let there be light. Come on, that's the wrong neighbor. Find a new one. Say, let there be light. Now, now watch this. Watch this. this. This is a revelation. The key word is let. God, God has the light. Hit your neighbor again and say, you have to let it. You got to let there be light. The word let, look it up. It's like the fifth definition, all right? But but it's there, I'm going to use it, okay? It means to permit to enter. Let means to permit to enter. You have to permit God to enter the broken, dark places. 
Some of the things that maybe you've not told anybody that you struggled with, you have to permit God into that place in your life and in your heart. And, and here's what, what I'm going to say. We're getting ready to do this, and I, I'm excited, but I don't want to miss anything. I've got a question for everybody today. Everybody who feels broken on the inside, every person that just, man, there's just parts of your heart that's dark right now and you're not in a good place, I got a question. Are you tired of the darkness and the brokenness in your heart? Are you tired of it? Because you have to work with God. And I'm gonna encourage every person under the sound of my voice, if you call Bethesda Church home, all right, if this is your place, this is where God strengthens you and feeds you and all that spiritually and you're growing, I want to encourage you to give us one year of your life. You say, well, what do you mean, Pat? I'm already here. I already, I'm already here. Well, it's not enough to hold that chair down. I said that on Christmas. Listen, your purpose is not to hold a chair down. Okay? What do you mean by give us a year? I'm saying attend all of our services for one year. As many as you can get to. I, now, if you got the flu, stay home. We will pray for you. We don't need that, okay? We'll pray for you. If you're on vacation, you tune in online, okay? I'm not saying you physically got to be here every time if you're sick or on, traveling or what, but, but be involved as much as you can. Attend small groups each semester in 2018 and serve on the dream team. Every person under the sound of my voice ought to be serving here at Bethesda Church. I wonder what would happen if a thousand people said, we're going to serve Bethesda by serving our community. I wonder what would happen if everybody started serving. Listen, if you will make a commitment to do those three things, I promise you next Christmas Eve, your life will look drastically different than it does right now in a very positive way. If you'll do our processes and be all in, which we're going to talk about in January, be all in, God will do amazing things in your life. Now, go ahead and pull those candles out. They're all under your seats, all right? Just go ahead and pull it out. First service, I didn't tell them until it was already dark. I was like, where's it at? All right. Now, we're getting ready to light some candles. And can I be mean, Pastor, for a minute? Not one yes. Nope, it's Christmas. You got to be nice, Pastor. I'm going to ask that no one move for these next few moments. So I got to go to the back. You can hold it. Bessie, you can hold it, all right? Give us, I don't want those doors swinging open in this moment because, listen, the Holy Spirit has already in, instructed me and told me that he, was, he would be speaking to hearts and he would be healing hearts in this moment. And so we want to give the Holy Spirit an opportunity to do that. Um, it's getting ready to get dark, all right? Hit your neighbor say, it's going to be dark. All right, I don't want you to get nervous. And I don't want you to be nervous about the darkness because I believe when this room goes dark, it's simply a picture of what some of our hearts look like. All right? But we're about to change that. We're about to let there be light. God is about to send some light into the dark and broken places in your heart. So what's really cool is this one little flame from this one candle is going to be responsible for every candle in this room being lit. See, when you let your light shine, you give others permission to let their light shine. Man, I sense the Holy Spirit in this place. 
I'm going to light this. Well, y'all, y'all go ahead and go dark with it. We're good. Go dark with it. Thank you. These production guys are amazing. They've had to follow me going every which direction today. I want you to stand to your feet today. Stand to your feet. This one flame will be responsible for every flame in this building. Father, I just thank you for this moment. And God, this dark room, for many people, it's a picture of their heart and the broken places. But God, as we light these candles, God, it's a picture of your promise. God, that there can be light in the broken and dark places of our life, that there is healing for your people. God, let this be a beautiful picture to your people that your promises are yes and amen. I want to ask you, as heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm not going to make anybody raise their hands today, but if you don't know Jesus, all you have to say is right there in your seat, in your own heart, you, you can just say, God, I, I feel like I'm living in the dark. I want to come into your light. Jesus, I confess you as Lord and Savior. If you pray that and just ask God in your heart, we believe that you are a new creation and we would invite you to be a part of this with us, to light your candle. To say, you know what? God's light is entering all the dark places of my life. All right, gentlemen, you guys ready? Everybody get your candles ready. These four ushers will be by in just a second. I want you to think about the Holy Spirit, just give God. We're going to be singing in just a second, but I want this to be an intimate moment, okay? An intimate moment. As we sing, just concentrate on God and what He's doing in your heart and in your life. Sing with our worship team. Every candle is lit. 
dark room, kind of uncomfortable, but now with all these candles being lit, I think it's probably the most beautiful scene in this sanctuary all year long. I pray that it be a picture of God's light coming into every dark and broken place in your life. I want to say uh, from me and Pastor Karen and the entire Bethesda staff, thank you for being here today trust that God has spoken to you in a very powerful way. On your way out, I'm going to pray before you leave, but there is trash cans for the little paper thing, all right, and then there's buckets for your candle, but I want to bless you before you go. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your presence in this moment. Thank you for speaking to us, God, and encouraging us through your word and by the Holy Spirit that there is hope, God, Lord, that your light can come into the dark and broken places of our life. God, I pray that this Christmas be the best Christmas we've ever experienced because of your presence. We ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you and Merry Christmas. 
Thanks for listening to this week's message from Bethesda Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us online. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and our website, BethesdaChurch.tv. Thank you for joining us and have a great day.